Welcome to the Chronically Real Podcast, real life, real talk. I'm your host, CMT Strong, and I'm here with DO3. What's up? Nothing much, just trying to keep my hands warm in this cold weather. Tell me about it. I was on Zoom the other day, a Zoom meeting. I was distracted. Who pays attention 100% of the time anyway on a Zoom meeting? Yeah, you're lucky if I'm paying attention 10% of the time. <laughs> so I got to fiddling around on the internet, was on WikiHow, and there's a box on the top, how to, and then you type something in. I was in a mood, so I typed in how to fart. How does that even happen? <laughs> I don't know where my mind was. I was distracted and I was bored, so I put that in there. I came across an article written by individuals and co-authored by WikiHow staff. It was last updated October 11th, 2021, with references, I'm glad by the it's way. up to date. Yes. And it says, we have done it. Farted in public. It's natural and sometimes it can be avoided. However, it's embarrassing to most people. There are ways to hide the smell, reduce the chances you'll get blamed, and muffle the sound. I thought what we do for our audience is share this scholarly information with them. How generous of us. And kind of tailor it to individuals with disabilities or chronic illnesses to see if these strategies will work for them and us if we happen to pass gas in public. How to fart 101. Here's the first suggestion. It says, get on the move. This is known as crop dusting. If you farted in public and you really couldn't help it, leave. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible for me. I move very slowly. I got to thinking about this. How long does it take for somebody to smell a fart? And I googled it. And it says farts have been clocked 10 feet per second. It's going to take me a lot longer than one second to leave the room. <laughs> I don't think this is a good suggestion with individuals with mobility challenges. And even then, if you see someone like just fast walking to the different room and be like a little suspicious and then it starts smelling pretty bad. Yeah, there's a smell in the room and you just left. That's kind of suspicious. Yeah, it's like something terrible happens. Everyone's standing uh, by looking at it and then you keep walking and like, all right, that guy did it. Yeah, and it's easy for you to blame the guy who left, right? Oh, yeah. Hmm. This is a bad suggestion. Drown out the smell. Do whatever you can to camouflage or reduce the smell if you've already farted in public. Ah, uh, yes. The hint of apple. <laughs> I just happened to keep some body spray in my pocket. I don't know if this would work for guys. I don't carry a purse or anything. I don't know. I feel like our farts are so bad that nothing is going to do anything. I can see women getting away with this. I'm sure in their purse they have body spray or perfume or something. Yeah, but this time it's a hint of vanilla with it as well, right? This is a good suggestion for women, in my opinion. Drown out the smell. Because they have the ability to carry something to mask the smell. Men usually don't. Yeah, what? They just pull out a bottle for breeze out of their purse? Something like that. <laughs> Walk somewhere that smells bad. Oh, yeah. I happen to be next to a waste dump. <laughs> 
Yeah, but then you're looking at the person, there's a fart kind of smell in the room, and you're standing by the trash can. That's another way to get blamed for it. And again, how long is it going to take an individual with mobility issues to walk to the trash can? With our luck, you'll probably trip on the way. Fart well in couple. It's hard to just walk away to fart if you're with a significant other on a date. You may want to hide the fact that you have to fart altogether. Why would you fart if you're on a date? Hey man, it's just like nature. Sometimes it just calls. I got to thinking about this. If you're in a relationship, when is it okay to fart in front of your significant other? This is what the experts say. There's experts. Google, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there was a variety of different suggestions, but this was the best one. It said two to six months before you can fart in front of each other. Dude, I'm doing it immediately. The first date? You yeah, just break wind right there? I'm going to look them dead in their eye and be like, I'm sorry I have to do this to you. And just let it rip. Yeah, it's going to sound like a machine gun, but. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one. Blame someone else. You won't be able to prove that someone else farted, but there's always ways that you can raise suspicion that it was another person, not you. Timing has to go into play with this one, right? If farts have been clocked at 10 feet per second, you would have to delay your response, right? And you had to aim. Mm, Yes, aiming would be very important, I think. No scope. This one's too complicated and a lot of thought has to go into blaming someone else if you consider the science of how a fart moves through a room. Here's the best suggestion that I found. Own up. You might actually gain points if you just confess and admit that you're the one who stunk up the room. Psychologically, we always appreciate or... We may appreciate an individual that's honest. Raise your hand and it was me, and say it was me. That reminds me of that movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey when they were in the elevator. Yeah. And he turns around and he's clutching his briefcase and he says, it was me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. Well, that ends my journey across the Internet while I was distracted tending a Zoom meeting. The places the mind will go. Okay, let's transition into what I want to talk about today, all-or-nothing thinking. What is all-or-nothing thinking? It's a cognitive distortion. Now, cognitive has to do with your intellect, your thinking. And a distortion is a pulled or twisted, out of shape, contorted, giving a misleading or false account or impression. Your thinking is getting twisted. It refers to thinking in extremes. You think either you're a success or a failure. Your performance was totally good or totally bad. If you're not perfect, then you're a failure. It doesn't keep account of gray areas. It's responsible for many negative evaluations of not only yourself, but other people. You're thinking in extremes. There is not like, I did good in this. I didn't do okay in this, you just think, oh, I'm a terrible person at everything that I do. Yeah, they totally disqualify anything positive. It's either 100% good or it's either 100% bad. There's nothing in the middle. If they take five extra seconds to finish a mile than they usually do, they're thinking, oh, I'm starting to slip up. I must suck. Yeah. Here's some examples of all or nothing thinking. I never do anything right. I always screw things up. No one will ever 
talk to me again if you make a mistake. You see the wording they use? I never do anything right. Is that really true when someone tells himself that they never do anything right? I was like, so you're not perfect then, right? (laughs) How dare you not be perfect? How dare you be a human being that does make mistakes? I always screw things up. Really? You always screw things up. There's times where I forget to put the cup where the coffee is pouring out. So that's kind of a big mess up. And I wonder about two minutes later why there's no coffee when there's no cup there. (laughs) An individual that has this type of thinking, this all or nothing thinking, they tap out real quick. An individual that thinks this way, sets out to accomplish a goal, sets out to accomplish something, and they give up after one slip up. So like a little resistance and it's just like, all right, it's game over. I'm going home, taking my ball with me as well. Yeah. Oh, wow. I noticed this behavior as a personal trainer quite a bit. The client would set out to follow a an exercise program. And coupled with that was a nutrition plan. They're eating well. They're following the nutrition plan. They go out with their friends on the weekend and they have a few drinks, eat badly, and stuff themselves with dessert. Then they come back in Monday see me and they're falling apart they feel that one slip up is game over they're never going to be successful because of that one slip up that's all or nothing thinking that's a distortion in our thinking it's twisted thinking yeah you can't be perfect i mean it doesn't take like 30 days or something to develop a habit somewhat the experts say it usually takes 21 days and then there's roughly I don't know, like an eight to 10 week uh, cycle in your brain. For it to be established as a habit, right? Yeah. Okay. There's neuro cycles, they call it. So about after five days, considering that they messed up on the weekend, they give up. Yes. An individual who thinks this way also is not sure of an outcome. They don't even see the point in trying. The thing is with setting out to accomplish anything, whether it's in your business It's losing weight, starting an exercise program. How can you be totally sure of what the outcome of that's going to be? Yeah, like I don't think we we didn't start losing weight for like at least two to three weeks after we started, right? Yeah, it took me a while for my body to understand, hey, you're working out again. It's been five years and we're going to take this slow. Like where's my quota of hamburgers? Mm Mm-hmm. I felt discouraged, but I know about those feelings. I'm able to engage those feelings and understand what's going on and make the necessary mental adjustments to keep pressing forward. Here's an interesting section of a book called Feeling Good. The author of that book is David Burns. And notice what he says about all or nothing thinking. This refers to your tendency to evaluate your personal qualities in extreme black or white categories. Black or white categories. For example, a prominent politician told me, because I lost the race for governor, I'm a zero. A straight-A student who received a B on an exam concluded, now I'm a total failure. I was psyched if I got a B. 
It's like, let's go. <laughs> Me too. It's good, right? It's yeah. above average. Yeah. Basic. These are good grade. <laughs> All or nothing thinking forms the basis of perfectionism. It causes you to fear any mistake or imperfection because you will then see yourself as a complete loser and you will feel inadequate and worthless. This way of evaluating things is unrealistic because life is rarely completely either one way or the other. For example, no one is absolutely brilliant or totally stupid. No one is either completely attractive or totally ugly. I don't agree with that. I think I'm completely attractive. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, I'm the most humble person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the floor of the room you are sitting in now. Is it perfectly clean? Is every inch piled high with dust and dirt? Or is it partially clean? Absolutes do not exist in this universe. If you try to force your experiences into absolute categories... You will be constantly depressed because your perceptions will not conform to reality. You will set yourself up for discrediting yourself endlessly because whatever you do will never measure up to your exaggerated expectations. The technical name for this type of perceptual error is dichotomous thinking. You see everything as black or white. Shades of gray do not exist. So what do we do... If we find ourselves thinking this way, well, you got to engage those thoughts. You got to recognize, hey, I'm thinking off here. My mental processing or my thinking is distorted. It's twisted. When you catch yourself saying, I'm never going to be successful because you made a mistake, try to backtrack a little bit and engage that thought process and say, well, is it really true that I never accomplish anything good? Is it true that I always mess things up? It's not true. We got to realize that messing things up, speaking out of turn, saying the wrong thing, engaging in bad habits once in a while, those things are going to happen in our life. Recognize when you're thinking that way and change it. And try not to disqualify the positive things that do happen in your life. Okay, that moves us into our next part. DO3 is going to share a video clip with us. All right, this one's about having your own uniqueness and being courageous. Okay. If you don't want to make waves, be mediocre. Be normal and fit in. Dress like them, walk like them, act like them, go where they go, think like they think, do what they do. And once you neutralize your uniqueness, you don't need courage. It takes courage to be different. It takes courage to be successful. It takes courage to win. People don't talk about people that don't win. If you win, they're going to talk about you. Do you have the courage? He makes some good points. Yeah. If you want to be different or successful, you're going to have to have courage but if you don't want that just fall in line with everyone else many people might feel there's no value in being different this is something that i learned when i was a fitness director managing contracts for a large gym corporation i was a salesman really and i managed a whole team of salesmen i learned of something called the scarcity principle we see it and we may not be aware of it 
Think about when new iPhones come out, the PS5 or anything that's a rare commodity. What happens? People flock to it. It's been noted when there's a product that's rare, what do they do? They camp outside the store in order to be the first person in line to receive that product. Yeah. And if you're a smart company, some companies have been caught doing this, is you only make a limited amount so you can say that it's scarce. So that's where that term limited supply comes in. Mm -hmm. It's a natural human tendency. It's been noted, even if you're a person who doesn't want that product, if it's a limited time only and you need to act now, your brain and your thought process goes to wanting that product. Yeah. That's where you get into situations at a car dealership or somebody's trying to sell you personal training or a health membership where they say things like, I can only do this for you today. Yeah, the door's closing as soon as you walk away. Yeah, they're going to take away the product. It's rare. It's scarce. Well, here's the thing with your personality and you as an individual. No fingerprint is the same, right? So if that's true, you're rare and you're valuable. Let your personality come out. Be yourself. And you'll see that things will go a lot better for you. Yeah, it's good to be different. Mm -hmm. There's only one of you. There's only one of me. It's scarce. It's rare. So it's valuable. All right. Meme of the week. Chronically underscore simple. Way to go again. Awesome meme. It said, I promised myself I'd do things differently today. So I'm sitting at the other end of my couch. This is funny because there's truth in this. When you live with a chronic illness, sometimes you just need to do things differently to feel better mentally. If you're in pain or you've been struggling with fatigue, I have an Instagram friend who does that. She puts on different outfits every day. She does her makeup differently. She dyes her hair sometimes differently. And she does it because it makes her feel good about herself. She's changing her routine. She changes her environment. She moved things around. And that's pretty good for somebody mentally to do those things. That way you're not stuck in the same environment. You're not stuck looking at the same things. You're constantly switching things up. And I can see the value in doing that. When I'm tired, maybe I'll just lay on the other side of my bed. Yeah, that's good. Just to switch things up. Yeah. Okay, what weird fact do we have, DO3? All right. So, so, for 20 years, a cat served as a mayor of an Alaskan town. What? Yep, for 20 years. So, in 1997, an orange cat named Stubbs became an honorary mayor of the Alaskan town of, I can't pronounce it, so I'm about to butcher it, Takanika. Right, Takanika. Yeah. With a population of 772 in 2000, it would have not have taken too many votes to earn the position. And the small town did not actually have a real human mayor anyways. But Stubbs proved ad adequate at the role, gaining fans from around the world and serving in the position for years. Greeting tourists, becoming a beloved symbol of the town until his death in 2017. 
So a cat served for 20 years as a mayor of a small town. In Alaska. Place didn't burn down, so it must have been efficient. Is that even legal, I wonder? I mean, they did it. I don't know if they care, right? Hmm. What was his speech like? I don't know. Maybe a, just a bunch of meows or something. <laughs> yeah. It was like, what was the population? 700? 72. 700. Maybe their way of life was smooth and the whole town got along and they had a good, they had a good uh, way of living and they're uh, all, well, nobody wants to be the mayor, so let's just, throw some chaos. Let's just vote for the cat. And there you go. Interesting. All right. Thanks for sharing that with us. Follow us at CMT Strong on Instagram. Email us if you have an inspiring story or you want to come and talk with us and be a guest. Our email address is the chronically real podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to us this week, and we'll catch you next time.